Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this don't you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break Hello like and welcome to the podcast That is always up to speed With Formula One It is currently Friday, October 7th I cannot believe it We're already a week into October To everybody in Canada North of the 49th parallel Happy Thanksgiving I know it's a couple days early But Monday us up in Canada in the Great White North. We celebrate Thanksgiving this coming week. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. My friend, my colleague, my frenemy, my neighbor, Mr. Mark Daly is sitting right next to me here in the Scuderia F1 race weekend studios. I kind of threw that banner up there as well. We're not officially <laughs> sponsored yet. Magnus, if you're listening, reach out. We'd love to partner. But my friend, how the heck are you? Good, man. It's been an insanely busy week, but I'm looking forward to the weekend now. It is now directly in my line of sight. One more day at the office, one more day of work, and then it's turkey time. It is time to basically eat way too much food and um, feel grossly uncomfortable afterwards. But hey, sometimes the old traditions are the best traditions. And there's a Grand Prix to look for. Excuse me, look forward to this weekend on top of it, which will go live our time here on the West Coast at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, which is awesome. Which is super, super fantastic. And it's funny because friend of the show, Tim Haraney, reached out to both of us earlier tonight and said, hey, are you guys good to record at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday? And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking of 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Grand Prix. I'm like, I'm not watching a Grand Prix live. 9.30 a.m. is not going to (laughs) work. Let's let's do mid-afternoon. And of course, it occurred to me, wait a minute, the race is the night before. 9.30 a.m. is a perfect time for us to sit down and dissect what will hopefully be a fantastic Grand Prix. Now, my friend, um, I want to interject a little bit and Again, this is off. This is kind of off the cuff. It's not on the schedule, not on the outline. But I did want to just take a moment because uh, uh, quite a few of our listeners had reached out because they'd seen some of my social media posts over the last couple of days. And you know, one of the things Uh-oh. that you and I take great pride in, and I'll make this really quick. You and I take great pride in the fact that this show is is a safe space, and I think you and I yep. were very clear about our position regarding Russia and the Ukraine situation, that that Grand Prix should have been revoked and every sanction in the world should be thrown at Russia. But currently, and if you've seen my social media posts, um, you've probably picked up on the fact that there's something big brewing in Iran. And a couple of weeks ago, a young woman named Massa Amini was murdered by the government, murdered by the morality police who are specifically designed to enforce Islamic values, including women's dress on the public. And it almost overnight ignited what is becoming a revolution. So in the country of Iran right now, there's this massive women's rights, human rights movement that is pushing to topple that government. And I think if you're 
a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're a Tory, if you're a liberal, if you're a conservative, whatever the case is, I think that's a government that nobody wants to have any business with and has been ultra repressive for, for many generations. So it's interesting to see. And if you're wondering why there's been so much of that on my social media, it's just because the entire Iranian diaspora, and I think women's right activists and just progressives and, and conservatives globally are all relishing at the thought that maybe that tyrannical regime can be toppled and bring greater peace to that region of the world. And women and, and people in general can enjoy the human rights that they so so desperately deserve. So I wanted to get on my soapbox real quick, just get that out of the way. <laughs> but it's obviously something my wife is super passionate about, and we've been super yep. passionate about. And anytime there's a cause, when you can push for the transformation of women's rights and human rights in any country in the world, it's worth. All of that said, my friend, um, we've got an action-packed show tonight. I don't know where you want to start, but I do owe our listeners a fantasy update if you want to go there. Well, actually, I want to go uh, live to uh, Suzuka in Japan. Uh, FP1 just finished up. Oh! It is uh, currently 16 degrees Celsius uh, with the rain at the, the track, so 61 degrees Fahrenheit. So the times after FP1... Fernando Alonso set a time of 142.248. Carlos Sainz, second fastest time of 142.563, about three three tenths of a second uh, behind Fernando. Charles Leclerc, third currently with a 142.634. Esteban Ocon, K-Mag, Max Verstappen, Mick Schumacher, Lando Norris, Valtteri Bottas, and Sergio Perez have set the top 10 fastest times so far. And not a lapse uh, run uh, so far. Uh, Fernando only uh, putting very in seven. Wet, very wet. Yeah. The uh, the two Ferraris putting in about 15 laps. Uh, Alcon, only five laps. K-Mag, 15. Sergio Perez, only four laps. So this is, uh, yeah, it's going to be a wet one. And uh, I was on uh, the TSN Racing Pod with our good friend Tim a little bit earlier. And uh, just looking at that forecast, I really hope it's going to be wet all weekend. I mean, as, as I said with him, it's just inevitable that Max is going to win this thing, but it would be nice if we got a little bit of craziness before the inevitable undoubtedly happens because I really enjoyed the Singapore Grand Prix last week. Okay, it didn't rain in the during the race itself, but it rained just before and just that uh, that slowly drying track really added a, an extra element and you know if we can get that uh, two weeks in a row, I'm all for it. And before, having said that, that's right, I was going to say before we before we move on, on that note, I have a question for you because I heard this yep. question come up on the checkered pod uh, checkered flag podcast, and I wanted to ask you: Would you prefer would you prefer a Grand Prix that starts wet and gradually gets dry, or would you prefer a Grand mm -hmm. Prix that starts dry and gets wet? Which would you prefer? Because it sounds like you want to have a wet weekend, which is awesome. I would enjoy a wet weekend, although Suzaka doesn't need to be wet to be enjoyable. But which do you prefer, starting wet or starting dry? I kind of like the uh, the the wet and drying track because it, it adds a bit of a, a, a different element to it, right? I mean, last year, I mean, you can go back to say uh, the Russian Grand Prix where it rained and whether it was the last seven or eight laps, and that was just a complete mayhem. But I kind of like it because it adds a little bit of an element when you have like a, a drying track. And okay, drivers are always looking to manage their their tires. But when you have like these wet or these inter tires, and it's the way that they will really degrade once they get on that you know completely dry surface, or even if it's partially drying, really adds in uh, an extra element of uh, of car and tire management. 
for, for the drivers because if you go back to last week's uh, race in Singapore, if you uh, go back to look at like Charles Leclerc's uh, pit stop, I can't remember which one it was. I, how many, I, did he do one, two? I don't remember. Anyways, the right front was almost basically a slick. So it was, uh, it's kind of cool to, to, to see that. But having said that, when the, the clouds do open and uh, you get like a... Um, you know, it can make things quite exciting, but I, I like it wet going to dry. That's just my my preference. How about yourself? I think I prefer the alternative. I prefer to start dry with the threat of rain, and then I yep. don't like it to come as a trickle. I like them to be out there on their slicks, and I like to see that mad scramble of everyone trying to find their <laughs> way back back to the pits so they could get onto yep. some intermediates or that rare occasion when they're on full wets. But that is yep. my my preference. Like I like that panic that they're the drivers, the teams, the pit wall, they're looking at that clock and they're counting down the laps as those clouds get darker and darker. And then they just open and everything that's come before it is no longer relevant. It's just sheer chaos as everyone tries to get slip and slide their way into the pits to get onto some intermediates or some wets. Good times, uh, absolutely. And as we sit here, we're about an hour and 33 minutes away from uh, FP2. So that should be uh, kicking off just about the time that uh, we wrap up here, because that's typically <laughs> about the length of one of these uh, podcasts. But why don't we go now to the, the fantasy update? Apparently, you want to do this last week. You shut me down like super quick. When I, hey, Hammy, you want to do like, no, no, we're doing that. We don't need to update it this week. But <laughs> yeah, I should apologize for that. It was a little, a little harsh, but uh, I felt like I'd done a lot of updates without a lot of movement, but we have some movement, which is fantastic. <laughs> the British cool. the British listeners are still dominating. So next year, I need our North American family to come out and represent. But currently, number one from the UK, Andrew T, 3,500 points. Number two, Whitman R, 3,450, also from the UK. Number three, Thaddeus F from the UK, 3,436 points. Number four, Adam J from Canada, 3,424 points. Number five, Marshall W from the big UK, 3,366 points. Number six, Daffy A, a newcomer to the top 10, 3,346 points. Number seven from Canada, right the Great White North, Janko West, 3,345 points. Happy Thanksgiving, Janko. Number eight, Aaron K, who seems firmly fixed into the top 10, 3,314 points. Number nine, Ludwig Y, 3,312 points. And then another newcomer to the top 10, representing Yellow Racing, Radic W, 3,000. 310 points. And my friend, right before we got started, you gave me mm -hmm. some updates um, about the fact that we're finalizing some of the prizes for this competition. So good job, I would say, procuring yeah. some of the prizes. I've got some of the prizes. Um, there's a couple more that I'm, I'm working on. So when I've got it all sorted out, I'll make an announcement. But I'm just uh, a little bit jealous at uh, who's going to get this That's one fair. because I, I've already, I, I, I'm going to need to block my visa because I know that I'm going to go out and purchase this one myself. It's just, uh, it's so good. Okay, now time for a driver's uh, championship update. Max Verstappen leading the way with 341 points ahead of uh, Charles Leclerc from Ferrari with 237. Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull, only two points out of second the driver's championship. Uh, George Russell, the Mercedes driver, fourth with 203 points, one point ahead of Carlos Sainz. So two through four are very tight and could be very exciting going through these last five races. And then over on the constructor side, no real change there. Of course, Red Bull still on top with 576 points, Ferrari 439, Mercedes 373, McLaren 129, only four points ahead of Alpine, who have 125 so that could be a very interesting battle. I know it's kind of 
halfway down the pack there. But should Alpine leapfrog McLaren, they're going to take home a heck of a lot more prize money from the Constructors' Championship. And Mercedes, sorry, McLaren Mercedes are going to lose out on a heck of a lot of prize money. So that is a, a battle that we're going to definitely want to keep an eye on going down the last five races of the year. All right. So we're kind of slowly getting up uh, to date here. So you've got a merch update. So why don't you give us the merch update then? Yeah, we've got a merch update. So one, it looks like we might be getting our first samples within the next three or four weeks. We have a model Sweet. lined up to do a photo shoot. I'm very excited. And like I said, this is oh, taking stop. a while. Only, I'm doing it only- pro bono. Only because, only because I've wanted nothing but the very best in terms of quality of, of apparel. And if we're going to sell something, uh, yep. I just, I, it was important to me that it'd be the best possible, the best possible quality. So, uh, expect to see something probably by, by November, uh, I don't know that we're going to be able to ship before Christmas and, and make this a great holiday gift for those loved ones in your family that love our show and love Formula One. But uh, at the very latest, it should be arriving uh, before, right before the beginning of winter testing. So it's coming. It's cool. going to be awesome. I promise you. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. And then a race weekend promotion, of course. Uh, we really love uh, what Magnus and the team over at the Race Weekend are doing. You can check them out at theraceweekend.com. And that is R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. And put in our promo code ScuderiaPod. And you will get a discount off of that. And totally worth it. Uh, you know, we don't promo a lot of things here. But uh, we like what they do. So definitely go and check them out. It makes a great gift for the Formula One fan. In your family, what with the holiday season just around the corner. And it seems really, really weird to be saying that because I it doesn't seem like that long ago I was saying, man, I can't believe summer vacation is over. And I can't believe I'm saying, oh my God, we're into October already. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving weekend, but such is life. Anyways, uh, here we go. Next, um, this is a cool graphic that uh, you pulled up here from GP Blog. The average age of Formula One drivers per decade, so per 10 years of, um, of, of Formula One. So in the 50s, we have 34.4, the average age. In the 60s was 31. The 70s was 30.5. The 80s was the average age was 29 and a half. The 90s was 29.2. In the noughties, it was 28. In the teens, the tens, the teens, whatever you want to call it, it was 27.4. And in the 20s, the average age of your of the Formula One drivers on the grid, 27 and a half. So it has come down a lot in 75 years. That's uh, very, very incredible. Seems to be averaging out, you know, over the past uh, 15, 20 years at about uh, between 27 and 28 years old. And the age of uh, Formula One debutants, and this is only drivers who drove a full season, they're included in this stat. In uh, 1972, the the, uh, the age of uh, Formula One debutants was 30.3. 82 was 29. In 92, it was 22. In 2002, it was 25.4 years of age. In 2012, it was 22 and a half. And this year, back down to 22. So if you look at both of those graphics, obviously the trend is going towards younger drivers, which is uh, very, very interesting. Okay. 
So, Hammy, moving right along, what everybody wants to talk about is finance and accounting and balance sheets and all these sorts of things. But this has been the big story of the the last week or so, because uh, at Singapore last weekend, there was news coming out that potentially two teams had breached the the, the, the new cost cap. Uh, it was rumored to, to be Red Bull and Aston Martin. Both of them vehemently uh, denied that. Uh, the FIA said uh, that they were going to make a, an announcement uh I guess it was yesterday, October 5th, that's come and gone. And they've updated it to say that is going to be uh, now Monday, which is October 10th. They uh, released a statement yesterday on Wednesday saying, the FIA informs that the conclusion of the analysis of the 2021 financial submissions of the Formula One teams and the subsequent release of certificates of compliance to the financial regulations will not take place on Wednesday, 5 October. The analysis of financial submissions is a long and complex process that is ongoing and will be concluded to enable the release of the certificates on Monday, 10 October. The financial regulations were agreed unanimously by all competitors who have worked positively and collaboratively with the FIA cost cap administration throughout this first year under the financial regulations. As previously communicated, there has been a significant and unsubstantiated speculation and conjecture in relation to this matter, and the FIA reiterates that until it is finalized, no further information will be provided. The FIA also reiterates that any suggestion that FIA personnel have disclosed sensitive information is equally baseless, end quote. So, like I said, the the rumor last week was that it was Red Bull had gone partially over the cost cap and it was rumored, alleged that Aston Martin had gone significantly over the the cost cap. Both teams have said that uh, this is clearly not the case. They both feel that they have uh, been in compliance. And I know some people seem to be a little bit uh, frustrated and irritated that this sort of self-imposed deadline of 5 October is come and gone, and that it's going to be Monday, and there's some skepticism whether or not they'll release the information, the certificates on Monday. But when it's coming to something like this, and they they seem to be talking the talk, right, that they, they want to take a very firm stance, should there be any... You know any transgressions, any overspending above the 145 million dollar cost cap from last year, but you have to be careful uh, and you know make sure that this is all done correctly, that all the data that is out there is 100 percent correct because you don't want to get these uh, numbers wrong. Uh, it's well, we'll see, we'll see. I'm keeping an open mind. I I hope everybody's being above board because the last thing that uh, that the sport needs is a controversy, especially when it comes to something. I mean. The, the, the controversy at the end of last year, the way that things went went down, yes, Marina at Abu Dhabi was bad enough and for, for obvious reasons, but uh, to have like another scandal or another big controversy involving technicalities and rules and stuff like that, I think would just, uh, I think it would turn off a lot of people to be quite frank, Mark. Yeah, very much agree. And you, you commented a couple of minutes ago that the rumors, the, the reported rumor was that it was Aston Martin that had overspent significantly and it was Red Bull that had underspent or spent over just a little bit. It was actually reversed. The rumor from the paddock and what was being reported for by Andrew Benson and everyone else was actually the alt or the opposite, which is that Red Bull had significantly overspent what we would define as a material overspend versus Aston Martin that had slightly overspent. Um, this was this was a rumor that seemed to catch 
catch on like wildfire, really, like you said, over the last week, really, really picked up steam during the Singapore weekend. And it was not only so prevalent online and in social media, but a lot of the team principals, including Matteo Bonato and, and Total Wolf, were being asked about this relentlessly in Singapore. And they were addressing the questions and expressing their concern that this had in fact happened and they weren't naming names and they weren't naming teams, but they had very much uh, acknowledged that there was an understanding or a belief or a sense within the paddock that maybe some teams had in fact overspent and they had continued to reinforce that if that had in fact happened, that the absolute maximum penalty be applied. And of course, the inference here, especially from Ferrari and especially from Mercedes being that if it was in fact Red Bull who had overspent a material overspend that they need to be punished. The challenge is this for me, a couple of things. One, passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm very curious as to where this information came from. If it is mm -hmm. a leak, if it is a leak, where did it come from? Did it come from one of the teams who made themselves know because obviously they have internal auditors and they should have a general sense of their accounting status as they go through the year? Was it a team? Was it somebody within Formula One? Or was it somebody from one of these external auditors? I'm very, very, very curious because the, the rumors that spread were very damaging to the sport. And from a social media and a, a general media perspective, this conversation overtook the world of Formula One last weekend. And of course, it was compounded by the outcome of the race and the amount of time it took the FIA to determine the outcome and the penalty for, for Sergio Perez. So it wasn't necessarily a good look in that sense. But this became the dominating story. And it kept building and building and building this week. And of course, Christian Horner was threatening legal action. And of course, he was on the defensive and Helmut Marko was on the defensive and Toto was on the offensive and Matteo Bonato was on the offensive. And and the drivers were getting involved and it kind of built to yesterday. And I think you and I earlier this week, we were sitting here thinking that this entire podcast could be us dissecting the outcome of the cost cap certification process, which is when the teams are either given a certification or a certificate saying you adhere to the cost cap or they're not. And if they're not, if they did not mm -hmm. comply with the cost cap, what is the outcome going to be? So ultimately, we all sat here Wednesday, feverishly refreshing Twitter 
and refreshing our computer, pressing F5, dying to get some information. <laughs> and it actually took me back to that moment in the book, The Mechanic, where the whole team, the whole McLaren team oh, was sitting right. in the garage yeah, yeah, refreshing yeah. their phones. And I'm sure that everyone in Formula One was. And, and one of the other things that was quite interesting was a team principal was actually asked last Sunday by a member of the media, like, how does the FIA actually deliver this to you? Like, how are you informed? How do you find out whether you were or weren't in compliance with the cost cap? And he actually didn't know. He's like, we actually have no idea how this information is going to be delivered to us. But the day went on and on and on. And at about 4.54 p.m. Uh, time, 4.54 p.m. time, Paris time, I should say. And of course, Paris is relevant because that's where the FIA is based. They basically issued sure. a statement that you just read, which is, hey, we're not actually ready to release this documentation today, the date that we announced. We're going to bump this back by five days. And of course, the entire internet just fell apart. Like, what the hell? Like, this is terrible. The FIA is garbage, blah, 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 blah. All of that to say, I totally do agree with you that accounting and financial accounting and forensic accounting audits mm -hmm. are hugely, hugely complex. All of that to say, the FIA didn't need to announce this date and they didn't have to wait until six minutes before 5 p.m. to announce they were bouncing it back five days. It was just, it wasn't particularly well handled from a PR perspective. And to be also totally honest, it's it's also a little bit in insane that it takes 10 months to audit a championship because of course the cost cap window that they're looking at is January 1st, 2021 to December 31st, 2021. So they're looking at that period. And again, I know this is very complex, but it shouldn't take 10 months. We're almost wrapping up the subsequent championship. <laughs> so I know, right? I, and I'm rambling, but all of that to say the internet fell apart. And then of course it just further fueled this, this, this notion that something is amiss and that something amiss yeah. became, well, ultimately, maybe Red Bull is guilty of a material overspend. And if you announce that in the days leading up to the Japanese Grand Prix, which is kind of the Honda Grand Prix, and there's some stories about Honda, some good stories about Honda that we're going to get to, does that overshadow this weekend? And are we better off announcing the results of the cost cap investigation on Monday when you've got 10 mm -hmm. days before the next Grand Prix? And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it's not a good look. All of that to say, Red Bull is full of incredibly, incredibly, incredibly smart people. And the yep. reported rumor that they overspent the cap by $10 million, which would be a huge material overspend, to me seems astronomically impossible. If they have, if any team has, has, has committed a material overspend... There, there needs to be ramifications unlike anything we've seen before, whether it's Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, they need to impose the maximum penalty possible because everything about the 2020 Concord Agreement, and, and I know you're getting impatient and you keep looking at me like, Mark, wrap this up, but... Everything about the 2020 Concord Agreement, which was the first Concord Agreement that Liberty had brought into place, was about the yep. financial infrastructure of the sport. So you had an updated technical regulations, you had updated sporting regulations, but you had this new financial regulations document. And the entire backbone of the financial regulations was all about creating, and I'm going to read here because I actually read the document earlier this week and it was pretty interesting. But if you look at it, the financial regulations themselves state this in their general principles 1.3. These financial regulations are designed to achieve the following objectives, the objectives, to promote the competitive balance of the championship, to promote the sporting fairness of the championship, and to ensure the long-term financial sustain or stability and sustainability of the F1 teams. If in the first year that they are implementing a cost cap that a team significantly overspends, no matter who it is, 
they need to throw the absolute book at them. And if you look at page 27, if you look at page 27 of the financial regulations, they define a material sporting penalty. And again, a material sporting penalty in a circumstance where a team exceeds the cap by 5% of the following, any of the following. One, a deduction of constructors championship points, which is largely meaningless in all things. I mean, it will impact potentially your prize money. But again, we all know that constructors championships aren't as valuable as drivers championship. But one, deduction of constructors points. Number two, deduction of drivers championships points. Number three, suspension from one or more stages of a competition, meaning, hey, you're going to be disqualified from a race or multiple races. Limitations on the ability to conduct aerodynamic or other testing. So limitations on your R&D going forward. Suspension from an entire competition or competition. So being disqualified from the previous championship or possibly this championship, exclusion from the championship or reduction of the cost cap going forward. The issue here, and I very much agree with the team principals that have been speaking out about this, is that it needs to be a maximum penalty. If that's if that's a disqualification, then so be it. Because if you overspent last year, that benefits this year's car and next year's yep. car because you're yep. that 5, 10, 15, 20% ahead of the other teams in spending yep. when they put the brake on spending. So again, I know that's a long kind of ranty thing. I don't care who it is, if anyone overspent, apply the maximum penalty. But I'm not jumping on this bandwagon that a specific team did. I just think it's an awfully bad look that these rumors were swirling and the FIA had the opportunity to put an end to the rumors and then delayed the release of the cost cap certificates by five days. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, right? And I, I'm inclined to take Christian Horner at his word uh, for, for the time being. I mean, we, we don't have any concrete or public information to contradict him otherwise. Uh, he had to say, uh, quote, no, I mean, I'm absolutely confident in our submission. It's been through a process. It went in in March in terms of being signed off fully by our auditors, who are obviously one of the big three. And we believe that we're comfortably within the cap. So the FIA are following their process. We hope, we expect, hopefully, and potentially this week, not just to hear uh, just for us, but for all the teams, the outcome of this process. End quote. So then he goes on to, you know, he's been, but uh, was asked again about it. He, uh, he follows up his uh, previous comment by saying, quote, what I said absolutely stands. We will consider all of our options and that's it's totally unacceptable to make completely unfounded allegations. And what is the basis of what knowledge? Where is the source of the information? This is a confidential submission between the team and the FIA. I have no idea of the compliance of any of our rivals. So where does this information supposedly come from? End quote. Yeah. So is it just uh, something that somebody, you know, I, you know, sneakily said without any any material otherwise is this a you know a whistleblower from the inside which would be a little bit shocking to be quite honest i mean if uh, somebody's been you know circumvented or overspent on the cost cap it's you know that the process should root that out right so excuse me we will see what uh, what happens going forward. And let me ask you a question because we sit here it's currently Friday October 7th uh we're not going to know Really, and again, the FIA could move that yeah. date. It's a moving target. Maybe we don't know till Wednesday or Friday or maybe the following week. But ultimately, if they release those cost cap certificates and they hand one to Aston Martin that you complied and they add, hand one over to Red Bull and they've complied, I think we need to take a deep, hard look at the media that was reporting yeah. this story so aggressively because it turned the world of F1 
on its head for an entire week. And here we are 30, 40 minutes into this podcast and we're still talking about mm-hmm. the subject. And to be clear, we've never reported this. We're just we're just collecting kind of the common themes and the common stories from the world of F1. And this story has absolutely dominated. But I put the question to you, my friend. One, yep. if in fact these stories aren't accurate, how should the media or can the media be held accountable for reporting the story so heavily? And if the rumors were accurate... How do we how do we hold those teams that breach the cost cap accountable? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, it's a, it's a question of ethics, right? I mean, if uh, they have uh, overspent, then you know, it's just like, how did you think that you would um, you know hide these costs? You know, like, are, are you being fully transparent in the way that uh, you're uh, reporting this? So, and. Um, Obviously, I think that if it has been, you know, if it comes out that a team hasn't complied and it's a it's a material overspend, the whole point of having this this cost cap in place in the first place is to keep finances under control. So, I'm all for like leveling uh, leveling or levying, pardon me, of uh, of harsh punishments. You know, hopefully it doesn't come to that and come to that. I hope on Monday or whenever it is that they all get their uh, their certificates and uh, everybody is uh, well within the, the 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 rules. But it's interesting too, like the whole discussion of like the way that this is really reverberated around the F1 sphere over the past uh, several days i mean these these rumors that Aston Martin and uh, Red Bull are overspending based on what you know and yeah, exactly, again if the, exactly. you know if if the media is reporting this and uh, you know based on you know you know ether and you know speculation you know, I I find that like a bit of an ethical dilemma. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, come on this show and report that, oh, I think Team X is overspent because reasons, right? You know, I, I just find that uh, that that irresponsible. I mean, I could see like a whistleblower standing up and saying, you know, like all the teams get their their uh, their, their certificates and then whistleblower comes back and say, well, hey, wait a minute, Team X got their their uh, their certificate. But, you know, I saw the the documents and it clearly wasn't the case. So there's something rotten going on with the whole process and uh, you know that needs to be looked into it just it seems like it would be a weird time for a whistleblower to come out and and make these the, these allegations not there that there has been but that, that we know of before that the, the the numbers have really been released so I, I'm I'm pretty skeptical as to the original source material for this for, for the time being I'm just gonna sit back and wait and see what uh, is released on Monday or Wednesday next week, whatever it is, but I just want them to do their due diligence, go over everything and just get it right the first time. And if at that point that there, there's an issue, if somebody's, uh, you know, exceeded the cost cap, deal with them, punish them, and then let, let's move on. Right. What do you think would be, what do you think would be more damaging to the sport? Because I keep playing this scenario over and over in my head and I'm glad we can sit, sit here and kind of have an honest conversation about this, but uh, yep. imagine a team is is identified as having a material overspend. And again, this reported rumor that Red Bull overspent by $10 million, I just, they are an organization. I find it hard to believe. Me too. It's it's not $10 million on a budget cap of a billion dollars. It's $10 million on a budget cap of $145 million. Like mm-hmm. that would be... That would just be obscene. That is somebody with a corporate credit card that is just running rampant through the supply chain without any mm-hmm. oversight whatsoever. Like I just I cannot has 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 there been some 
minor overspends, I'm going to be certain of it. I'm certain, especially in the first year. But for Red Bull, a team that is so sophisticated and and so advanced in so many different ways to have overspent by $10 million. Now, if they have, and I shouldn't say they because this is all just a rumor, but if any team does have a material overspend, to me, I think, and it's going to be horrible, Like I think the backlash is going to be terrible that, hey, look, a mm-hmm. team has been disqualified from the 2021 championship, but it's almost better to do that and take it on the chin than to to identify that a team does have a material overspend and just do some token token punishment. Like I just think in the first year of all years, they need to be crystal clear and just reset expectations yeah. that this can yeah. never happen again. Yeah. Yeah, and and to that, I think that uh, you can split that even a little bit further. It's like, is this material overspend? What was it intentional? Is there any deviousness yeah, great behind point. it? Great. Was it just ignorance and, then, and negligence? Or is it? Yeah, is it? Ne- yeah, or is it just the the blunder of the the biggest uh, proportions? You know, regardless, I think that uh, they should be punished, whoever they might be. In, in either case, I mean, if there's something devious, if there's some sort of you know naughty machinations going on behind the scenes to 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 try and sneak around the cost cap by millions of dollars potentially then they should be hit with like the, the hardest possible punishment but if it's um unintentional and it's more of a systemic thing that their 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 checks and balances are out of whack sure you're you should be punished as you know harshly as well but you know that's more of a procedural thing rather than a, something more more devious and then if it's a, a minor overspend then yeah that that should be dealt with too but if we're talking say 500 grand or something relatively yeah, not the five hundred thousand dollars is uh, trivial, but a small amount in the grand uh, scheme of things that that's worth you know a punishment as well. But on the order of magnitude compared to like a, like a potentially bigger you know massive overspend, then you know I, I think maybe dock them a couple of points from their you know their their constructors championship uh, standings from from the year before whatever it is, right? Yeah, in the spirit of, and I very much agree with everything that you're saying, and I never really made that consideration or processed that consideration that there's a distinct difference between a team just being negligent with the way that they manage their accounting and a team specifically intentionally engineering a way to try to circumvent the cost cap and they just got caught yeah. by a forensic auditor. But I go I go back to the the financial regulations. And let's be clear too, like in the spirit of that great email that Marshall sent us last weekend, the cost cap mm-hmm. isn't something that the FIA imposed on Formula One. This was a construct that had was was the design of Liberty because they wanted to increase the valuation of the teams, increase competitive, yeah. like sporting competitiveness, blah, 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 blah. So I'm not here to blame the FIA for creating this document. This is a mechanism that was the at, developed at the request of, of Liberty and the F1 teams. But I go back to the documentation. And again, I read and I quote, a material sporting penalty, comma, meaning one or more of the following. And I list those things I said a couple of minutes ago, deduction of constructors points, deduction of driver's points, it gives the FIA an awfully wide berth here that, hey, there could be a team that did spend by overspend by $10 million and their their penalty could just be a deduction in constructor's points. And ultimately, maybe it's still worth the, the penalty because their car was so technologically advanced and they were able to build in some engineering advancements versus the rest of the competition that will benefit them this year and next year. And maybe it was worth writing off some points. So all of that to say, I don't like how ambiguous the penalty is. And again, if you're going to have a 
a, a minor sporting penalty and a material sporting penalty. You just need mm-hmm. to be crystal clear about what that penalty is. And there's just so much, so much runway here for them to interpret this in different ways. You know, it, it's funny too. I was just thinking that, you know, if you could see like um, a scenario for like the devious, like overspend, like trying to find a way to dodge the system and spend whatever you want and find a way to bury it in the in the book somewhere and then also like the the reckless spending like there's no tomorrow like there's no checks and balances that you just keep racking up costs i can totally see that happening in in formula one especially like in in prior eras i mean you know especially when uh you know like tobacco sponsorship ruled the sport i mean they were right. literally spending whatever that the hell they wanted to because i mean the sponsorship money in the in that era was um what was uh what was basically endless right and then I, I can also see, and th- this isn't levied towards or directed towards any team, obviously, but we all know that they try to find ways around like the technical re- uh, regulations. So why not? But try and find a way around the cost cap. But that just Great seems... Point. Great it, point. It, it, it just seems to me that that seems very, very risky, especially with the the positioning that the FIA is taking, saying that, you know, that, that any... Any guilty parties will be punished to the fullest extent of uh, of the of the, the the you know the punishments available to us. It just it seems too risky this time around. It seems like there's some real teeth into this desire to enforce punishment. What did you think when you were reading that FIA statement earlier? The final sentences that I quote: "The FIA also reiterates that any suggestion that FIA personnel have disclosed sensitive information is equally." baseless it seems very defensive that that it an does, organization it, right? of that size would address a rumor if it's a rumor it's a rumor just disprove it when you when you release the certificates but maybe maybe the rumor is correct and they're just trying to be defensive in terms of where where that information came from that hey actually the reporting was accurate there was a material and a minor overspend by two of the teams but it sure yep. that news sure didn't come from from the FIA but i think yep. ultimately Ultimately, if if in fact there has if that if those if the reporting if the rumors are accurate, I think the FIA and Formula One need to do a really deep dive to try to understand where all of this came from. Because I have to think that every single person that would have been exposed to this ultra sensitive accounting data would have been under a non disclosure agreement. Like every one of oh, those 100%. people would have been yeah. bound by yeah. an NDA. So Absolutely. this this could very much be a legal matter. And I think they need to. This isn't and this isn't a whistleblowing issue. This is this is very much ultimately we're going to learn all of this anyways it's only a matter of time if this is is in fact the case but but i think like they need to get to the bottom of this rather than trying to address it in public and reinforce that the fia also reiterates that any suggestion that fia personnel have disclosed sensitive information is equally basis like how do you know that i don't know that you i don't know that you yet do yeah, I mean that the only scenario that sort of pops to mind to kind of uh, comment on that interesting little almost afterthought to that uh, that press release from the FIA is uh, perhaps that um, you know I can see a scenario that somebody within is trying to do a media buddy a solid or something yeah. like that and leak them a bit of a, an information to scoop them on uh, on the story so maybe maybe that's where 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 that one's going and because I mean at this point like I say I mean unless there is um you know, some issue with the the accuracy or a deliberate cover up of an overspend. I, I don't see the benefits of somebody like whistleblowing at this point because the the data hasn't been released yet. Like I say, 
if they issue 10 certificates of uh, compliance next week and four of the teams have overspent materially and then that gets covered up and then somebody who's on the inside comes at that point and say, hey, guys, you know, this this isn't true that four teams here were over, but something something reeks here in the fact that they got their their certificates of uh, compliance. So one last we'll question see. for it's, you. And I know we yeah. got to jump to a break, but I have one more question for you. If go for it. So one of the other rumors that was spreading this week, not even this week, but yep. since yesterday was that there's this there's this rumor, there's this myth and I'm just going to perpetuate it by talking about it on the air. But there was this <laughs> belief that one of the reasons that the certificates was delayed is that it's a grand conspiracy that Red Bull has in fact overspent in a material manner and that they don't want to announce this immediately prior to a Grand Prix weekend and overshadow the fact that it's a homecoming for Honda, that they're going to announce that Honda badges are going back on these cars and that Max Verstappen could in fact win the championship this race weekend. I got to think that 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 is total BS, right? Like there can't be any truth to that, that if the FIA was was ready to release the cost cap certificates this week, yesterday, regardless of what the outcome was going to be, they would do it, right? Like they wouldn't put this off until Monday, right after the Grand Prix, would they? Yeah, I I don't know. I can't get into their headspace, but don't you think it would be a little bit weird that if there was something to this rumor that uh, that Red Bull is uh, overspent materially by ten million dollars, and then they've uh, deferred this announcement to Monday, so that the Max can potentially win the championship, they can potentially win the constructors' championship, all these things, and have their big party with Honda, and then have this scandalous story break on Monday that they're they've been cheating in regards to the cost gap, and they're going to get, you know, like punished back to the Stone Age in terms of punishments and sanctions and everything like that. It just it seems seems very very strange. So seems very risky. Perhaps seems very it seems risky. very risky. So here's yeah. one last question: If in fact they announced the cost cap certificates on Monday and a team does have a material overspend. Would you be willing to jump on and do a 15 minute fast reaction podcast with me Monday night? Oh yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Turkey night. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Turkey. <laughs> there we go. Well, we'll unbutton our, you know, slightly <laughs> tight clothing and, you know, maybe switch to, to, to the sweatpants with the expandable waist. So I'm maybe already that's in sweatpants, the, the, the way man. to go. I'm way ahead of you. Me too. Me too. And I guess that's a little bit of TMI for for everybody listening at home. Okay, let's take a, a bit of a break here. We'll come back in a moment and uh, we'll talk about some other uh, news items making the rounds. So we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Okay, welcome back to the show. And uh, Hammy, I'm going to throw this one back to you. So apparently the uh, organizers from the Saudi Grand Prix have been meeting with the Formula One teams and drivers over security issues. And this is about some of the uh, you know rather shocking things that uh, happened in and around Jeddah this past uh, year. And uh, this is uh, specifically a, a missile strike that hit an oil facility near the track during Friday. And uh, this was um, uh, claimed by the, the Houthis rebels in Yemen, uh, who uh, supposedly fired the missile, hit this oil refinery. So, Mark, I know you're a little bit more up to speed with politics and cultural issues in this part of the world. So why don't you pick it up from here? You know, you and I, we talked about this quite a bit. And it's, it's hard to believe that it feels like on the one hand that this championship is moving very quickly. But on the other hand, that moment, that moment in in political history happened just this year, I guess it would have been back on March 27th or whatever that Grand Prix was. But just as a quick refresher, during the Grand Prix weekend, missiles or a missile uh, rained down on an oil refinery complex that's within visible eyesight of the Grand Prix circuit, yep. which is right on the coast. And of course, there was this fierce debate about whether this Grand Prix weekend should go ahead. And I think the big bosses from Formula One, Liberty and the FIA and the security personnel and the security officials from the state, from the city, from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia approached the drivers and after lengthy, lengthy deliberation, I, I feel like the drivers were ultimately convinced that it should go ahead. And again, I love Jeddah. I love that event. I love that track. I, I think it, I think it does a lot to, again, you can clearly make that argument about sport washing. And I totally agree that that is a valid concept. But at the same time, yep. I think bringing yep. somebody like Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel to these countries um, and exposing them to the demographic and the population and exposing the population to them and some of their socially progressive messages, I think all of this can be a good thing. But I was still very, very surprised. And I think you were that if we flash back to that period that that Grand Prix went ahead. So ultimately, I think the I think the officials um, from both the race organizer from Liberty from the FIA um, and from the city and from the state of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia I think they're trying to get in front of this message with the drivers again and try to relay the message that certain very specific exceptional processes are being implemented and put into place to ensure that they're couldn't be a repeat of what we saw last year. And I don't know that that can ever be guaranteed. I don't think you can ever guarantee safety, but the kingdom mm -hmm. of Saudi Arabia is itself an incredibly secure country. Um, and I think obviously what we've seen was an exception, but there's nothing, nothing whatsoever to guarantee that it couldn't happen again. And I think ultimately what the kingdom is trying to uh, sell to the drivers and, and sell to the teams and the mechanics, et cetera, is that they've implemented some additional security measures. And I don't know what that necessarily looks like, whether it's satellite, whether it's radar, but some mechanisms to try and present that from ever happening again. But yeah, to mm -hmm. me, I'm still surprised. And again, I have nothing but love for the city of Jeddah and the people that live there. I think it's a very modern, very progressive city, but I was still very surprised that that race went ahead earlier this year. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit frightening to say the least yeah. uh, when you're you know you're trying to hold a Formula One race and in the background you see oil for, uh, refineries getting hit by by missile strikes and things like uh, like that. 
Okay, let's move along. And so Honda and uh, Red Bull are talking again. And well, first of all, let's, uh, here we go. I'm getting my notes all mixed up. So the big news is, and this is something that we've been talking about on and off uh, for the past uh, month or two at least, is the fact that Max Verstappen and Red Bull have been running away with both championships for months now in a car that has a Honda engine in the back, but it doesn't have a Honda badge on it. Last year, Max obviously wins the driver's uh, championship. Yeah, we don't need to discuss that that, that too much. I rewatched the the finale of uh, last year's uh, Drive to Survive. And it's 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 really weird to watch that season finale again in that whole situation. Anyways, I know that's uh, a bit uh, beyond what we're going to talk here. But, you know, so anyways, Max wins the championship in 21. Mercedes wins the, the Constructors uh, Championship. So Honda don't get that chip that they're really looking for. This year, Red Bull's running away with it. I mean, they're going to win double championships uh, this year in a car with a Honda engine that doesn't have a Honda <laughs> badge on it. <laughs> Which you know, it's it, it's uh, it's it, it's just mind-boggling that yeah, isn't it? And this must be driving like the executives, or you would hope that this has been driving the executives at uh, you know Honda headquarters in Tokyo completely bananas about it. That uh, that this is uh, going that this has been happening. But anyways, the Honda badge is going back on these engines in the Red Bull in the Alpha Tauris until the end of 2025. So, you know, they're going to announce this. It's going on. It's happening again as of this weekend. And, of course, Max could uh, take the championship uh, this this weekend. I, I'm not exactly sure how many more races that Red Bull mathematically need to seal up the constructors, but it, it's it's got to be pretty close to being a done deal as well. I mean, they're miles ahead of everyone else in the championship. I mean, Ferrari would have to have, like, you know, ones and twos all the way the rest of the season and uh, the Red Bull's not finishing the points. I mean, it's, it's literally one of those crazy mathematical scenarios, I'm sure. But well, what do you think about this, Hammy? Is this, uh, this you know, it, it's it's weird, right? But it's it seems, such a it's, bizarre it's story. So let's, let's, let's look at the timeline here. 10 years ago, uh, Red Bull is winning championships with Renault. The relationship yep. is absolute garbage. And despite the fact that the technical partnership is working in terms of the results on the track, the material, the professional relationship doesn't exist. We go into 13, 14, Red Bull's demanding Mercedes engines. Mercedes is refusing to, to supply them. We get to 2018. Uh, Alpha Tauri makes the switch to Honda. And then 2019, Red Bull, the, the bigger sister team, the bigger brother team, whatever you want to call it, makes the switch as well. And then midway through 2020, actually, I think you and I may have done the podcast together. So later in 2020, Honda announces mm-hmm. that they're going to exit the sport at the end of 2021. So we are expecting that the end of 2020 or 2021, Honda is gone. And of course, the big splash, the big news was that Red Bull is going to take on their IP and start building all the engines in Milton Keynes using basically Honda's blueprints. And that simultaneously in parallel, they're going to start developing their own 2026 power units by themselves. So they're going to continue building the current engine using Honda's blueprints, but they're going to simultaneously build and start developing the 2026 power unit. That doesn't happen. And ultimately, what ends up happening is Red Bull does start their powertrains division, Red Bull powertrains, but all they're working on is the 2026 power unit. Meanwhile, they sign a contract with Honda, HRC, that HRC will provide Red Bull with power units for 2022, 23, 24, and 25. So effectively, Honda's become a contractor and is feeding them power units with virtually zero credit, with the exception of that one HRC badge on the, on yep, the, yep. On the engine cover. In the meantime... 
the media speculation is running wild that Porsche is going to buy a 50% stake in Red Bull and effectively become their engine supplier. That deal seems set in stone. We talked here about the fact that we expected that to be announced in Austria. It didn't happen. Meanwhile, Porsche is submitting paperwork and filing for copyrights. And then a couple of weeks ago, we discover that the Porsche Red Bull agreement is completely off the table. And now it's reported that Porsche may not enter Formula One at all. And hence, that window starts creeping open (laughs) for Honda to make a surprise re-entry into the sport. And and right now, it's going to come because, like you said, the HRC badge is going to go on the nose of the cars, and they're going to get a bigger Honda uh, badge on the back of the car where the engine cover is, at least reportedly. I think most of our listeners will have been able to see this because free practice one, two, and three are going to happen. They'll be on the cars now through 2025. So there's now this official partnership. And then the bigger story is... What happens with 2026? And what we know is Red Bull's making a lot of progress with the internal combustion engine for 2026. They haven't made a lot of progress with the electrical system, hence the opening for Honda, that Honda could repartner with Red Bull to help them develop the power unit for the 2026 cars. And the thought is that Honda could sell to their board the idea of providing all of the electrical components, the MGUK, the battery store, the electrical or the electrical components and the electrical systems and the computer systems for that power unit. So now there's this significant opportunity for Honda not only reemerge now, but to remain in the sport from 2026 and beyond, which is just crazy because Two months ago, it was a foregone conclusion that Honda was gone after 25 and that Porsche was coming in. Now it looks like Porsche is not coming and Honda could be coming back in. Such a fascinating story. Yes, but it could get even more fascinating or weirder. But apparently that uh, that another car company's name is Ooh. now being thrown into the mix and this is one that I don't think anybody typically associates with uh, with Formula 1 but you got Honda's back in the picture Porsche's out of the picture and now apparently Hyundai is potentially looking at an entry into Formula 1 I, I mean can it get any weirder Absolutely fascinating. It's funny because the first, <laughs> know, right? the first rumors of Hyundai joining the sport go back 20 years to 2002, right around the time they were working on setting up the Korean Grand Prix. And I don't think Hyundai was in any position to supply a team at that point, although the rumors were were pretty strong. They certainly didn't have the technological sophistication. They, they certainly do now. And I would be very surprised if they didn't make a move. And this has been reported now for a couple of weeks that one, there was a, a Korean manufacturer, which presumably presumably would be Hyundai and that there's an American manufacturer looking to line up a bid to become a power unit supplier as well. So super, super fascinating. Uh, but it's funny, that story that you refer to, interested Red Bull engine, Hyundai instead of Porsche. Um, there was a there was a, a comment in that Reddit thread where it said, Hyundai is an interesting way of spe- spelling Honda. And I got such a kick out of that. But lots, <laughs> lots to talk about, even in the off season, even though this championship is largely wrapped up, it doesn't mean there's lots for us to talk about. Well, that's part of the fun about Formula One, right? That uh, typically yeah. there's always something interesting kind of like bubbling up to, to the surface. I mean, the, the thing that's interesting about Hyundai is apparently that they've been considering an entry into Formula One for a very long time. They're uh, competing quite successfully in a World Rally Championship and also in uh, touring cars. So who knows? And apparently 
Ford might have expressed an interest as well. What with the big boom that we're seeing in the United States with Formula One and the interest that that that's really growing leaps and bounds week over week, month over month, that's not uh, beyond uh, the the realm of possibility at uh, at this moment. And Ford obviously has a connection with Formula One in the past, so who knows? Uh, we, we could see one or more, or maybe none of these uh, manufacturers uh, get get involved. So keep uh, watching or listening uh, to the space. Anyways, uh, Max Verstappen did say should they win the championship, uh, it would uh, make it uh, extra special uh, this uh, this weekend in Japan. And, and obviously so. I mean, for, for a number of reasons. It's the first Japanese Grand Prix since 2019. And obviously, Honda's a, a Japanese manufacturer, and you know it's it, it's just the stars are aligning for like a big celebration and a big party. But you know, we'll we'll get to the race preview in a couple of minutes here, and you can understand why they'd be excited to win it this weekend. But I'm sure that uh, there's you know 18 other cars and nine other teams that are going to try and do something about it. And although that Max will still probably win the championship and Red Bull win the constructors, the uh, the other teams are going to try and offset that and uh, ruin that party as long as they possibly can. Daily, can I please, can I please do the hype beast story? Please, please, can I do the hype yes, beast story? Yes, yes, by all yes. means. Awesome. By all means. I have been waiting five years to reference a hype beast news story on a Formula One podcast, <laughs> and my time has arrived. So to everyone at home that has has any interest in popular culture and popular fashion, Hypebeast reported, and this actually collection did go live at 6 a.m. Pacific time today, but Lewis Hamilton and Japanese artist Takashi Murakama have dropped a limited collaboration through Lewis's cool. own clothing line, Plus 44. I'm a huge fan huge fan of Takashi Murakama. I have his work. I have his clothes. I have a big print hanging up at our house. This was super exciting. The only the only disappointing part was I actually didn't like the clothing lineup at all. And I'm not convinced the quality is particularly good. But if you're interested in pop culture, if you're interested in, in hip hop, if you're interested in music, if you're interested in Japanese culture, I would highly encourage you to check this out. Track down Lewis Hamilton's Plus 44 website. Uh, I checked right before the show the entire run of clothing. Uh, he's got some t-shirts i think there's a black hoodie there's a jacket as well um all of it's still fully in stock at all the different sizes pricing's okay it's nothing crazy but super super cool to check out but just kind of speaks to yep. lewis's kind of pop culture reach globally so i thought that was pretty thought that was pretty cool absolutely should we stick with the pop culture theme for, for the time being yes, before we get back yes. to racing Okay, Keanu Reeves has revealed that his Formula One documentary that's coming up is going to focus on Jensen Button's one-off title win with Braun GP in 2009. I cannot wait for this. That was an iconic, amazing season. It was great to see Jensen win that title way back in the day, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing like the, the the full story and a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, footage. I think this is going to be really, really cool. Do you cool. know why I feel like such a fool? Last week on our podcast, I actually specifically talked about the fact that I would love nothing more than to see a 10-part Netflix series about the Braun GP 2009 season. <laughs> I already knew this was coming and I completely forgot. So somebody had kindly reminded me that, 
uh, hey, idiot, <laughs> you know about Hopefully this. Hopefully not too kind. You know about this. So Jensen's <laughs> super excited. I think it's going to be a four-part series that's going to debut on Apple TV Plus or Apple TV. I don't know what it's called, but uh, I'm super excited about this and I'm super keen to see see how something that's being produced and partially, I think, directed by Keanu Reeves will shape up. But again, I can't get enough of that season. That to me is one of the most fascinating seasons in the history of Formula One. An absolute textbook definition of a Cinderella story, but super excited excited about that. And when it does come out, I know you and I will be talking a lot about it on the show. Oh, 100%. I'm just looking at a picture of that uh, that Braun GP car, and it is it's an absolute uh, beauty. But interesting, too, the notes that I have said that it's going to air on uh, Disney+. Plus. Oh, so Disney+. I guess we'll Plus. Have to... Disney+. Plus. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll take a look and just uh, we'll confirm that once we have uh, some more Even better. information. Even better. I, I pay for that one. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. A couple more stories here before we get into the race uh, preview. So Christian Horner, uh, team principal at uh, Red Bull, says, quote, it would be a massive shame if we lost the W Series. And uh, it's uh, this comes in the wake of some reports that have been floating around that the uh, this uh, women's racing series is uh, potentially in trouble and uh, might uh, disappear. Uh, its CEO, Catherine Von Muir, has said that the series is uh, experiencing a cash shortfall as that uh, some promised income that was supposed to come from an investor has uh, not materialized. And uh, they will know by the end of next week whether or not the uh, the final couple of races in uh, at the Circuit of Americas in a couple of weeks and then at uh, Mexico City will actually be able to uh, to go ahead. Anyways, uh, Christian Horner had to say, quote, it would be a massive shame if we lost the W Series. I think it's been a great thing to get girls racing at championships that spoke to women. So it would be hugely disappointing if it were to disappear. Hopefully that won't be the case. I think there's an awful lot of interest in more and in more diversity, not just within Formula One, but within motorsport. And I think the W Series has been a really positive advocate of that. So hopefully a sensible solution can be found for the future. And it's something we continue to follow with great interest, end quote. So uh, that's followed up by uh, McLaren's Andreas Seidel that said he'd only seen rumors in the media about the, the W Series uh, problems. And he said, quote, uh, uh, for sure, for F1, as well as an F1 community, we have an obligation to make sure that we keep supporting the junior categories, these uh, end quote. So we'll see if they can be convinced to put their money where their mouth is, if uh, they uh, do have an issue with the uh, the, the W Series uh, disappearing or having some sort of uh, you know issues funding the final uh, rounds of the year, but I would be incredibly disappointed if this series were to fold. The, the you thing know, that stop. I would be Whole frustrated, point. and I totally agree with you, and I know you and I have talked offline so much about the W Series and how important it is uh, for for the, the industry of motorsport and to provide yep. a, a reason, an incentive, motivation for young girls to get involved with karting and motorsports, that there's, there's an outlet and an avenue where they can take their talent, which helps which should hopefully boost their career and help them get into Formula 3 and Formula 2. The reason this is so frustrating for me, man, is the answer is so clear. The W Series is in desperate need of an investor. There is a multi-billion dollar organization called Liberty and Formula 1 mm -hmm. that should just buy the W Series and pump money into it endlessly. One, because it's the right thing to do. Two, because it's the right thing to do. And three, because it's the right thing to do. They have the financial <laughs> resources to do this. It's a struggling yep. series. And let me just be very clear. 
No motorsport series makes money from the jump. It is incredibly difficult to make any motor series profitable, let alone a new one, especially one in the lower categories. But Formula One has the financial wherewithal, they have the marketing resources, they have the expertise, and they have the bandwidth and the partnerships with all of the different TV networks. Plus they have the F1 TV pro app. Like it just makes perfect sense from a synergy perspective. Plus it's Mm -hmm. a competitive junior series. And again, if you want to continue to expand your base and make the sport compelling and interesting for everybody, why not buy the W series, pump money into it, make it a great series. And then hopefully you can start turning some of these talented young W series drivers into talented young F2 and F3 drivers. It's just, it seems so obvious to me that Liberty should just buy this or become the investor that it needs to continue to sustain Mm -hmm. and grow. So anyway, sorry, my rant's over. Well, it would be completely in line with hashtag we races one, but uh, we'll we'll see, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So final news story before we move into the race uh, preview. So apparently Ricardo is actually in talks now with uh, Mercedes to become their reserve driver for next uh, season. I guess uh, he's hoping that uh, perhaps uh, Lewis Hamilton is on the cusp of uh, retiring. But according to Total Wolf, Lewis probably has another good five years left in him. So, you know, this is still so weird, man. Like to, to go from, you know, to, to, to be in this space right now, to be talking about to Ricardo. In, in a reserve driver role for next year, or maybe not even Formula One at all, is just, uh, I find it just so peculiar. It just, uh, I, I just can't wrap my, uh, my, 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 my mind around it. But yeah, if he's going there, like I say, to, to because Lewis might be leaving, uh, that's probably not a good, not a good enough for a reason. Because I mean, Lewis just doesn't show any sign of slowing down. And, you know, look at Fernando. I mean, he's kind of like busted that, uh, that myth that, uh, you know, the older you get, the, 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 the you know, that you slow down. I mean, He's still proving that uh, that he's got it at what forty two. So I mean, Lewis. I mean, he's in the same category. Might be in his late thirties, but he's still kicking butt out there each and uh, every week. Okay, let's take a look now at the uh, the upcoming uh, Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, the first time that we've been at uh, Suzuka in a couple of years. So this is a fifty three lap race, a race distance of three hundred and seven and a half kilometers. Circuit length is five point eight kilometers. Lap record was set by Lewis Hamilton and let's see what is that in 2019 his time was 130.983 so if you see the FP1 times are about 12 13 seconds slower than Lewis's uh, lap record and since 2019 it has been all Mercedes sorry since 2014 it has been uh, all Mercedes of course we haven't raced there in a couple of years so if you go back to uh, 2014 uh, Lewis Hamilton won it. They won it again in 15. Nico Rosberg won it in 16. Lewis won it the next uh, two years in 2017 and 2018. And Valtteri Bottas won it in uh, 2019. Sebastian Vettel actually qualified on pole that uh, that uh, that race. And the podium uh, that, uh, that uh, weekend was Valtteri Bottas first. Sebastian Vettel in Ferrari at that time was second. And Lewis Hamilton was uh, third. And like I say, uh, Lewis set the fastest lap of a 130.983. And this is a great track i have to admit that this is uh, one of my favorites you have that nice long start finish straight you go down into that um, nice first uh, turn which is actually two quarters of a different uh, radius then you go into the s curves turns three through seven going up the hill then you go into the left hand or the dunlop curve go around to the spoon curve at the back of the circuit to a very nice long 
bending sort of dog like uh, straightaway into the famous 130R, into the chicane made famous by Senna and Prost in 1988 in uh, coming together at the chicane that d- decided a world championship. When have we heard that uh, before? And then before you know it, you're back uh, passing the pit entrance and back around to start finish. I love this track. I absolutely love it. I've been, you know, well, I mean, there, there's been so many tracks that uh, that we've missed over the past uh, couple of years, obviously due to COVID. But it's great to see some of these ones coming back onto the calendar again, and I, I've missed it a lot. It will be interesting to see whether or not, uh, you know, Red Bull are strong this weekend. Max was kind of like uh, downplaying uh, expectations a little bit, and well, who knows, right? It's uh, I, I kind of ask myself: Is he just uh, being humble? Is he purposely setting expectation low? and then they're going to go out and perform uh, really good. But I'm still hoping, like I said at the top of the show, we were talking about the, uh, you know, the the rain showers that we just saw an hour or so ago in FP1, whether or not this will carry through the weekend, because I, I like that uh, that unpredictability. It really sort of sorts out the best, the, the better drivers, or the good drivers, and the better drivers. Looking forward to, to that a lot. Mark, Mark, what are you expecting for this weekend? Is this going to be a Red Bull track? Is this going to be a Ferrari track, or is this going to depend on the circuit itself and who gets their their setup uh, right and manages the uh, the inters or maybe even the full wets to the best uh, possible degree? Yeah, and before I answer that, I I just wanted to kind of reiterate a point that you just made, and I know I say this every week that I'm so excited for this Grand Prix. Part of that's just showmanship. Part of that is just being a podcast host and making sure that we're fully engaging with our listeners and making sure that we're excited about the product that we come here to talk about. But I completely forgot what a phenomenal what a phenomenally fun exciting track this is until i sat down and started doing some of my research again i think this track is a total blast and just to back up and provide a little bit of information because you and i have never actually covered a japanese grand prix because like you said we haven't been there since 2019 but this was a track that was designed in the 50s built in the 60s it hosted the 1963 and 1964 japanese grand prix there wasn't a japanese grand prix there again until 74 and then 76 and it was run there consistently from 87 to 2006 and then from 2009 until present of course with the COVID break in 2007 and 2008 it was at Fuji which is a Toyota owned track this is a Honda owned track so we talk about this being a a homecoming for Honda it's not just because this track is in Japan but also because this is a track that historically has been owned by Honda in fact it was designed originally as a Honda test track it's one of only two fia grade one tracks in the entire world with an overpass which is both neat but also oddly terrifying when we talk so much (laughs) about safety in formula one it's terrifying that that's permissible but i will accept it for this grand prix as an exception um the chicane that you mentioned at turn 16 17 18 that was actually a late addition that wasn't added to the track until 1983 and it was only added because at the time there was no speed limit in the pit lane and cars were carrying way too much speed a dangerous amount of speed into into the paddock itself or the paddock or the paddock area the pit lane area itself the one other thing that I mm-hmm. will be interested in looking at this weekend, and this is kind of off the track, is that this track had absolute blockbuster monster attendance in the early 2000s during that run of Ferrari dominance. Attendance mm-hmm. peaked, weekend attendance peaked way back in 2006 when they drew three. 
161,000 people over the three-day weekend. The last year we were here in 2019, they drew just 122,000 people. So I'm going to be very Hmm. interested in seeing whether this global resurgence of interest in Formula One is going to apply here in Japan. I have to think it will, but it has been declining for the better part of the last 15 years. In terms of the track, man, I love everything about this track. Turn one, turn two. I love the fact that you can carry so much speed into turn one. I love the fact that turn three, four, five, six, seven, you just kiss those curves or kiss those curves as you're working through the S curves in fifth gear. I love the hairpin at turn 10 and 11. And then my favorite part of this track is everything from that exit of turn 11 to turn one. That whole whole complex is phenomenal. 11, 12, you've got that sweeping spoon curve. You come out of there in eighth gear, full throttle all the way down slightly off the throttle in turn 15, then you go through that chicane, then you're back on the throttle flat out across the start finish line into turn one and you start the whole process again. I know, like you said, it's a 5.8 kilometer track. It does not feel like a one minute 30 track. This place is a total, total blast and I cannot wait until we get back there. In terms of what to expect this weekend, man, I I don't know and I think it's going to be weather dependent. I think on the one hand, Mm -hmm. both you and I are just hoping and crossing our fingers that this championship goes a little bit longer (laughs) because we want something to talk about and we don't want the championship to wrap up on October what's the date October 9th we want the championship to go into at least mid-October but ultimately if it's wet anything can happen here and when you look at the grid if you look at all the drivers in the championship this year and I'm just going to bring it up real quick let's take a look an awful lot of the drivers in the championship have never raced here at least haven't raced here in a Formula 1 car like if you look George Russell 2019 would have been his first year but of course he was driving a Williams car if you look at Lando Norris 2019 he would have been a rookie very different car if you look down at the bottom Nikki's never been here. Elbon, I guess he would have been here. Um, Guan Yu, he's never been here. Yuki's never been here. Mick Schumacher's never been here. Like there's an awful lot of drivers on the grid that have never seen this track and it can get awfully, awfully treacherous in the rain. So I actually, and while I love dry week or while I love wet weekends, this is one weekend where I would love to see a Grand Prix because this track is so good. It doesn't need to be wet to be exciting. And if it is, so be it. But uh, I don't mind seeing a dry race here this weekend. But I got to think that if yeah, it is dry, yeah. this track absolutely plays into that that absolute monster of a, a power car in the the Red Bulls. Yeah, you know, and and another thing that we have to mention too that this isn't a flat circuit. I mean, there's there's plenty of elevation point, change in it point. as well. I mean, th- it really has everything. It's got tighter technical sections. It's got flat out sections. It's got elevation change. It's it's really really cool. And just going back to some of the uh, the, the the characteristics, like you say, you come through start finish. You're going down the hill into turn one. That's a right-hander. You go into turn two, which is an even tighter radius going through that. So you got to crank the steering wheel harder over to the right. Then you got a short, very, very short run out of turns two into turn three. And then going through that complex of turns through the S's up the hill there. And then into left-hander into the Dunlop curve. That That is awesome. And like you say, the, the overpass, because you go up uh, through the hairpin, that whole complex of turns that can bring you into the spoon curve. You go up the hill there onto that uh, that back fast section there. You cross over 
the uh, the the overpasses just before turn fifteen, the the infamous R one thirty, and then that brings you down in that uh, sort of a dog leggy kind of bendy bit. That's sort of kind of straight, but not really into uh, turn sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. It, it's a real treat for those of you that are still new to Formula One. This is going to be your first time watching the the Japanese Grand Prix. It's always fun to watch, and like you say, Mark, it you know for for a lap time of the the low one forties, it certainly doesn't see it. I mean, when you look at like Singapore, I mean, pardon me, the low one thirties. Singapore was uh, you know it typically runs in the the low to mid one forties, I believe. That feels every every second of the of the time that it is but i mean it just goes to show you what uh, what, what different tracks that they are you know the, on the streets of singapore to the japanese countryside it's uh yeah i mean you, you can hear the excitement in our voices but i'm i'm all for seeing a bit of a, a ferrari comeback this weekend i don't know if it'll materialize or not like i say i I'm, i don't know what to make of max's comments this week that uh, he doesn't feel that they're going to be particularly strong there i mean yeah, I don't know. They, they've won, what is the last seven races in a row? I think we have to go all the way back to the Austrian Grand Prix at the beginning of July yeah. when uh, Charles Leclerc won last. That was the last time that somebody who wasn't driving a Red Bull won a race. And since then, you know, Max won six in a row and then he finished seventh in Singapore last weekend. But his uh, teammate Sergio Perez won last weekend, which I think was probably Sergio's best drive in Formula One. I think he was full value for money and especially at the end of the race there. I, I still don't know what completely happened. I, I think obviously part of it must have been that uh, Charles's uh, tires were going off a little bit. But the way that uh, that Sergio reacted when he was told over the radio that he was being investigated for that safety car infraction and that he needed to build up that 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 five second time gap. I mean, to say that he put down the hammer is a, a bit of an understatement on one lap. I think that he pulled out, extended his lead over Leclerc by like one point two or one three one point three seconds on one lap. I mean, that was amazing. But uh, we'll see whether or not uh, he can do it again this weekend. But I mean, Charles has kind of like turned it around uh, the last uh, couple of races. I mean, obviously the summer was pretty. Well, I mean, the, you know, ever since the Spanish Grand Prix, he's had three DNFs: uh, Spain, Azerbaijan, and France. He had a couple of P sixes in Belgium and in Hungary. He had a P five in Canada, a P four in Great Britain. But the last three races, he's been on the podium. He was third in Holland and then in Italy and in Singapore. He um, he qualified on pole and then he got to second place. But whether or not uh, they can pull it off on Sunday remains to be seen. But it would certainly would make it a little bit more interesting. Could he take it to a Red Bull for one more weekend and uh, throw a wrench in the works and disrupt the big Red Bull party and uh, make them rethink their plans and maybe defer them or delay them for a week or two. two what, what do you think about that, Two other that, quick Annie? things before we start wrapping them up. One, sure. friend of the show, uh, Andy Amendola, sent me a really interesting stat earlier today, and it says, uh, did okay. you know that 12 different F1 Drivers Championships have been won at Suzuka over the 31 races? So one out of every three Grand Prix at this track or wow. at the Japanese Grand Prix has seen a driver crowned. So the math is looking awfully good for Max for Stappen. And then the other piece too is apologies. I've, I've been formed that earlier I significantly butchered Suzuka. Uh, so I apologize to that, to all of our listeners. If you grimaced earlier <laughs> as I added an extra A and took <laughs> it took out a U, I apologize. Uh, I, I am humble enough to admit that. 
that's all. Did you say Suzaka yeah, or I something said Suzaka. like that? Because I completely missed yeah, that. Oh that's my exactly goodness! Exactly what I said. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, that that one kind of like uh, you know went right over my head. I didn't notice that. But just to um, go over some of the the winningest uh, constructors and drivers. So McLaren have won there nine times. Uh, most recently in 2011, Ferrari have won there seven times. But they haven't won at Suzuka since 2004, almost 20 years ago. That's that's uh, amazing. Mercedes, of course, have won six times, and that's all come since uh, 2014. And uh, most recently is 2019. Red Bull has won there four times, and that uh, coincides with the four championships. Sebastian Vettel for one from 2009 to 2013. Benetton and Williams won there three times. And then some of the two-time winners include Lotus, Brabham, Nissan, and Renault. And on the driver's side, uh, the most winningest driver there is the seven-time world champion, Michael Schumacher, who has six victories uh, there. His last victory was also the last time Ferrari won there, and that was back in 2004. The uh, the current GOATs, and probably the GOATs of all time, Lewis Hamilton has won there five times, Sebastian Vettel four times, and then two-time winners include Gerhard Berger, Ayrton Senna, Damon Hill, Mika Hakkinen, and Fernando Alonso. Fernando winning there in 2006 and 2008. So there you go. So enjoy this one. It's going to be coming on the TV here on the West Coast at a, a pretty agreeable time at uh, 10 p.m. Pacific Saturday night. That will be 1 a.m. Eastern time. So, you know, my East Coast friends, you know, it's a Saturday. If you're in Canada, it's a long weekend. So why not stay up and enjoy one live? Hammy, you got anything else uh, to say to everybody before we sign off? You always have something. The only thing I have to say to our listeners is that if you're still listening to this podcast here on October the 7th of a championship that has not been great, it's been okay, but it hasn't been great. We appreciate and love all of you. And if you could take two minutes, 100%. you could take two minutes to jump on Spotify and give us a rating or to jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. I, I promise you, uh, those ratings and those reviews mean the world to both of us. And we read and share every single one of them. Uh, but it just means a lot to the show as well, because in terms of moving the needle, in terms of exposure and and all those kind of things, it's just one of those things that actually moves the needle. It's kind of like steroids for the show. So if you can give us a rating or a review, we'd love <laughs> it if you could do that. Other than that, to everyone in Canada, uh, yes. happy Thanksgiving. 100%. And if uh, it's time to make apologies and mea culpas and things like that, I have to say sorry to Connie, who's been sitting watching the live stream on YouTube. And I, I referred to Abu Dhabi a couple of times, Lewis, or sorry, Connie being a big fan of Lewis Hamilton. She says it's a triggering event for her. So I apologize, Connie. <laughs> I haven't been doing that to, to, to upset you on purpose, but I kind of brought it up just in context of the conversation. Anyways, guys, enjoy the race. Everybody up here in Canada, happy Thanksgiving. Everybody else, have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you on Sunday. Show will come out a little bit earlier than usual. And we'll join by Mr. Tim Harani from the TSN Racing Pod to break down all the action from the Japanese Grand Prix. Until then, sayonara. See you Saturday. Sorry, see you Sunday. Bye for now.